Welcome to the Destiny Church Tees Valley podcast. As you listen, it is our prayer that you were transformed through faith, hope, and love. Yeah, I'm acting as George's stunt double today, so hopefully you don't really recognise much of a difference. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I didn't take much convincing when I heard that the reward was chocolate. Um, and at the same time, when last night I was trying to uh, write this quickly, uh, my sister went to the shop and got my favorite snacks. My dad and my mom were delivering me teas. And so if I'm really honest, I'm going to be a bit disappointed when this is actually finished uh, afterwards and it all goes back to normal. But it got me thinking that often when things happen, we have a natural response. Like when you suddenly get ill, you phone the ambulance. When my car breaks down, I immediately call my dad. When I get lost, I phone and ask, well, don't phone, I ask Siri. We have things that we naturally do to respond to problems that happen. But what do we do to respond to the problems that aren't physical? What do we do when shame suddenly comes knocking out our door? What do we do when fear starts to creep in? When uncertainty, when doubt, when depression, what do we do when battles begin that aren't physical but are more internal? They're in a realm that we often call the spiritual realm because we can't see it, but it is there. How do we respond to them? We can't phone 999 and ask for peace. You can't go to your family and ask them to give you joy. You can't look at your friends and ask for contentment. What do we do when the battle is spiritual? Well, the scripture gives us an answer for this, and that's what we've been on the journey of looking at, the armor of God. How do we make sure that we are protected for spiritual battles, for the battles that are not physical, but the battles that are unseen? And so we see, I'm going to read the whole passage in Ephesians chapter 6, just so we get a feel for the battle that is going on. So if you want to join me, it is 10 verses, and we're going to look at, we're going to skip the little bit that says children obey your parents, and we're going to start at verse 10, and it says this, Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that when you take your stand against the devil's schemes, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. Say the shield of faith to someone sitting next to you. Now turn to the other person that you just ignored and say, uh, which is the word of God. And verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and, keep, and always keep on praying 
for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an, an, an ambassador in chains. That was a tongue twister. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. I love this scripture because it begins by making sure we fix our focus. Before we get into the armor, before we tell you how to equip yourself, we want to first make sure you're facing the right target. It says, hey, don't be fooled. Make sure you know you have an enemy. You have someone who is scheming against you. You have someone that is creating plans that are not for you. You have someone that is trying to find your weakness so that he can exploit it. You have someone who is trying to detach you from the one who is protecting you so that he can destroy your life. It's important that we know there is an enemy. Because if you don't know the true enemy, you'll start blaming the wrong enemy. All of a sudden, we look at our boss. You blame your parents. You can blame that friend that betrayed you. You start to blame your children. You might blame that uh, teacher, that person that's a little bit awkward. We start to position our weapons towards each other. We position our weapons towards the wrong enemy. And the problem is when you get the wrong enemy, you fight the wrong battle and with the wrong weapons. And so immediately from the get-go, the scripture says, fix your focus. Make sure you know who we're running after. Make sure you know who we're fighting. This is not a physical battle. This is, this is a spiritual battle. Make sure you get the right enemy. It says, who's your enemy? And then it tells you how to fight. It says, make sure you know who you're fighting. And then, hey, let's go into explain how we can fight. Every other part of the armor of God is a defensive. We've got the breastplate, we've got a helmet, we've got a shield, everything's defensive. The sword of the Spirit, which we're going to look at today, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it is the only offensive weapon we have in our toolkit. Not only is it the only offensive weapon, it is the same weapon and the only weapon that the Holy Spirit uses. That's why we call it the sword of the Spirit. You know, when I was in uh, year six, which maybe means I was around 10, 11 years old, some other teachers will know better than I do. Uh, I was in year six and um, I was, we had a fairly small school. There was only like one class per year. Uh, and our uh, teacher came to us one day and said, okay, school, we're all in an assembly. She said, okay, we've got a task for you. The competition has come up in our region uh, because the author of a book is going to come to the Northeast. And so we're asking every school to read a book. And we want you to write your best book review of it. And then there's going to be a competition in the Northeast. Uh, for the best book review. And so as I sat and listened to this, I thought, that's not for me. 
And you don't need to know me for two seconds to know I'm not a big fan of reading, which is ironic because I'm talking about the Word of God, but I do read this book. Uh, <laughs> but I don't actually like reading. If you make it into a film, then I'm, I'm happy. I can, I can find out the story. Uh, but I am not interested in reading. And so when the teacher set this task, I thought, no, thank you. She said, Nadine... It's not optional. I thought, right, okay. So I took this book home. I put it on my bookshelf and I forgot all about it. I had other things to do at 10 years old. And so as the weeks went by, I hadn't even given it a thought until the teacher suddenly said, the book reviews are due in today. And and she said, Nadine, have you got yours? And I was like, um, no, I've left it at home. <laughs> the dog ate the homework. Uh, and so she said, go quickly to the IT room, type it up on the computer, and submit it. So I did what everyone does who's never read a book. I flicked it over to the back and read the blurb of the book, kind of got a gist of what I felt like it was going after. I was really not interested in this competition. I wrote down a book review, sent it to the teacher, and forgot all about it. The next week, the teacher comes into our assembly, and she goes, well, you won't believe it. We have got a winner here in our little St. Mark's primary school from the whole northeast of the best book review. I was like, I cannot. Someone in this little school go on for the northeast. And then, to my shock and amazement, the name that came from her lips was Nadine Harris. And as I tried to keep the bluff going, I confidently went up to achieve my award and to then find out that the prize is to meet the author. (laughs) And so the next evening, my parents, who I had still not told I haven't read the book, drove me to go to this big event where everyone sat and listened to the author speak before he then invited me up to discuss the book. I mean, I was bluffing so bad. It was like, wow, what was your favorite character? (laughs) The main one, yeah, the main character, really great. Like, so how did you think the ending, don't want to give a spoiler, so I won't say anything, you know? (laughs) I had no idea what was going on. As I got off the stage, sweat dripping, my mum looked at me and went, you've not read that book. But although 10-year-old me, I thought I maybe bluffed or got away with it, I'm sure the author could tell as well. It made me realize that one day, we're going to stand face to face with the author who wrote this book. We're going to stand face to face with the one who scribed every word into being, and he's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? He's going to say, hey, did you write it on your heart like I commanded in Proverbs 3? Did you obey it like I commanded in Luke? Did you deter from it or did you treasure it like I say in Job? What did you do with what I've given? And we'll all have a conversation with the author. This is the sword of the Spirit. This book that we've been given is our offensive weapon. And so I want to just for the next few moments look at what is the Bible? What is the word of God? And so this that we call the Bible it is made up of 66 books. 
Inside, there is different genres. There is different human authors, though we believe it's all divinely inspired by God. We use different dates of writing. There is different purposes of the writing. There is a lot of diversity within the Bible. However, at its most basic form, we can split it up into two sections. And this is into what we call the, the law and the gospel. So I want to really quickly whiz through both of those. So if when you think of the Bible, the first thing that comes to your mind is, it's just a book of rules, then the part of the Bible that comes to your mind is the law. And the law has what I'm going to look at, three purposes, three functions uh, that it serves. And the first one is, it is a mirror for us. In the same way that when you're getting ready on a morning, you stand in front of the mirror just to check you're looking 10 out of 10, the Bible is a mirror that we look into that helps us see the parts of our life that are not aligned with God. It helps us see the th ways that our heart's been deceived. It helps us see the words that we spoke that actually weren't right. It helps us see ourselves. It says in Romans 3.20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our own sin. You may have heard it said before that the Bible is the only book that reads you back. When you read it, it reads you. And so as we look at the law, as we see what God speaks, we begin to see ourselves through a different perspective. The second thing that I want to mention is that the law is a curb. I mean, it took me four times to pass my driving test, so I'm not here to give any driving advice. Uh, however, when I was learning to drive, my instructor used to always say, follow the curb, Nadine, follow the curb, which maybe says more about my driving uh, than anything else. And so as I'd go around the corner, I had to look at the curb to make sure I didn't go on top of it. The curb is there to guide you, to make sure you stay on the road, the same way that the law of God is there to be able to make sure we stay on the right path. It helps us see what we shouldn't be doing. It helps us see what ways will lead to danger, what parts will lead to death. And it says, hey, it's a protection. It's like the curb on the side of a road to help usher you in the right direction. In Romans 7, 7, it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would have not known what sin was except through the law, for I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. In other words, we only know what sin is because we have the word of God that tells us right from wrong. And the third and final thing that I want to mention about the law of God is that it is a light to our path. We see this really beautifully in Psalm 119. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. The law of God guides us. It shows us what direction we should be heading in, what God's desire is, what God's will is for us. So the, so the law of, of God, it is a mirror, it is a curb, and it is a light. So it's important to know sometimes when we read the law, we start to think, oh, well, as you know, uh, we start to feel guilty. But in the same way that uh, if, uh, if someone had committed a crime, if someone had stolen something from a shop and we put them in a court of law, the court of law doesn't make them guilty. What made them guilty was 
not keeping their hands to themselves, as Selena Gomez would say. And what made them guilty was stealing. But the court of law proves it, it shows the guilt. In the same way, the law does not make us guilty, our sin made us guilty, but the law helps us see and know our guilt through it. So it's by the law that we see and we recognize sin to be sin. But the law has no power to save us. The law can show us how much we miss the mark. It tells us in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short of the standards that God has for us. And so we all know that we need saving, but the law will never be able to do it because we will never be able to live up to that which is in the law. But what the law does do is point us to the one who can save us. As we realize the pit that we've got ourselves in, the law points us to the gospel. The gospel literally just means uh, the good news because when you realize how much we miss the mark when you're reading the law, when you suddenly discover that there actually is a hope, uh, then all of a sudden it does become good news. And so as we read the gospel, we find out that Jesus, the Son of God, realized that because we were in a pit, we needed saving and we couldn't do it ourselves. And so he came and took on all of our guilt, all of our mistakes, all of the, the standards and the pressure of the law that we could not fulfill. And he took it on himself, which led to his own death. But by the power of God, he then overcome death and came back to life three days later. It's the gospel that gives us hope. That through that, because Jesus has defeated and overcome the power of the law, we can through him find a freedom in the gospel. But unless we understand the power that the law had over us, we will never appreciate the freedom that the gospel gives us. In the uh, Bible, uh, we find three words that are used for the Word of God. When we see Word of God in Scripture, there is, uh, it's a, we are, we, sometimes in English it's a little bit boring because we have the same word for like, lots of things. Uh, but in the Greek, it's a little bit more uh, interesting. We get three words which give different nuances uh, to when we just see the Word of God. The first one is graphe. It literally just means the writing, the physical copy. The, the, what I've got in my hand now is a graphe, is a physical copy of the Word of God. The U version on your phone is a graphe. The Bible you've got in your car, the one you've got on your chair, these are physical copies of the Word of God. But in Ephesians 6, when it says that our, our uh, weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it doesn't say it's the graphic. It doesn't say the sword of the Spirit is what you hold in your hands or you have on your bookshelf. It's not the graphic. The second one we have is the logos. The logos means the message of the Bible. What is it that this means? What is it that it's teaching and communicating to us? What do these words all tell? We have the logos. We see Jesus is described in John 1.1 when it says the word became flesh. The word there is logos. Jesus became the embodiment of this message. He, uh, he is this message. And so we have the word of God is the logos. But in Ephesians 6, it doesn't say logos. The sword of our spirit is not even the message of the Bible. That alone. We get a third one, 
which is Rima. Rima is the spoken word of God. In Ephesians 6, 6, it said the sword of the spirit is the spoken word of God. It's the spoken word of God that is our weapon. You see, when God speaks, the spirit moves. We see this all the way back in Genesis. We see the Holy Spirit is hovering upon the waters. We haven't seen any creation yet, but the Holy Spirit hovers. He's like raring to go, like at the start of the race, he is ready. But until God declares the words, let there be light, then the spirit moves into action. The Holy Spirit waits until he hears the words of God. When you're in a physical battle, it's not just enough having a Bible in your hand. Sometimes just trying to flick through and find a scripture that makes you feel good. It says that actually when you speak the words of God, we declare the spirit to move in the battle. When we declare the words of God, suddenly you're not fighting alone, but God enters and will fight for you. We fight with the spoken word of God. We see this with Jesus. When the enemy comes to Jesus, when he's been tempted in the desert, let's turn to it now in Matthew 4, when he's been tempted in the desert, what does the enemy do? The enemy says, well, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus doesn't just go, well, let me look at my Bible. Let me just, let me just have a think about what God might say. He declares the word of God. He says, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, the enemy says, but if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And Jesus again says, it is written. The third time the enemy comes and tries again, he says, all this I will give to you if you bow down and worship to me. And God, Jesus says, it is written. If Jesus, the living word of God, needs the written word of God, how much more do we need the written and the word of God for our fights? Jesus always comes with the word of God because then it says after the third time, the enemy leaves. Because he cannot fight with the word of God. And that's why we see the enemy tries to create a wedge between you and the word of God. He will distract you. He will make you not desire reading it. He will make you tired. He will make you lethargic. He will put great things on Netflix. The enemy does not want you to read this. The enemy's desire is to create a wedge because if he can create a wedge between you and the word, you lose your power. We see this in the story in Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, when the enemy comes to Adam and Eve. He, he doesn't come and try and uh, convince them of something else because he knows he has no power against the word of God. So all he can do is try and create a wedge between them and the word of God. He tries to make them doubt. He says, did he really say that? Is that really what God said? Is that really the word of God? He's trying to edge in and get between them and the word of God. And that's why the first sin that was ever committed was not eating an apple, it was rejecting the word of God. The root of all sin stems from distrust and disbelief in 
the word of God. Because without the word of God, we are powerless. I love that it says it's the rhema word, it's the spoken word, because the enemy is subtle. He's not going to come with your siren going, guns blazing, three, two, one. I'll schedule you in. 14th of November, I will come and we'll have a little fight then. He's subtle. He's going to just plant thoughts in your mind. He's just going to get people to say passing comments. He's just going to get you to scroll and see something on social media that you shouldn't see. The enemy is subtle. You won't have time to run and dust off your Bible and read 66 books in a hope of finding something to say in the moment. We need to have internalized the message, have the the message of the Bible on our hearts, on our minds, that when the battle comes, we are ready to draw our sword and declare the words of God. If the enemy cannot disarm you, he cannot defeat you. And so I want to just close by encouraging you. The best thing that you can do, the greatest way that you can spend your time is by memorizing the word of God. Internalize the word of God. Because when you speak the word of God, it tells us in Isaiah 55, 11, that when you speak the words of God, it will not return void, it will not return empty, but it will accomplish all that I desire and set out for it to do. When you speak the words of God, the spirit moves and will accomplish what God declared he will accomplish. And when we speak the words of God, we don't rely on our own understanding We don't rely on our own ability to fight the battle. We give it over to the Spirit. We say, God, I might not even fully understand the weight, the depth, the interpretation of some of the words I'm declaring, but I trust that as I speak them in faith, you will fight the battle. And so I want to encourage you, whether it's writing uh, scriptures down and putting it on your mirror, whether it is declaring in your car, speaking it over your children, whether it is downloading an app, there's an amazing app called Remember Me. It is the best app I've ever seen for memorizing scripture. There's loads of ways it gives you to try and help uh, memorize it. Whether it's as a connect group, trying to memorize a scripture together. Whatever way it is, I wanna encourage you, get the word of God in your heart, in your mind, so that when the fight comes, you can draw your sword. Because a sword in its case is not gonna harm anything, but a sword that is drawn can do great damage to the enemy. And so will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you trust us with your word that you allow us, even though we don't deserve it, that we're not worth it, you allow us to use the power of your words. We thank you that in any situation, in any uh, fight or battle we find ourselves in, that your spirit will fight for us. We thank you that, that when we have an enemy who wants to destroy us, we have you who wants to build us up. We thank you, God, that you give life where the enemy gives death. God, we come to you, God, and we acknowledge you as our king, as our savior, that you are able to overthrow any power of the enemy, God. And so we ask that you will help us to equip ourselves. To, get, to gain the weapons that you have given us, to not grow tired, to not just get complacent with the words that we've got, 
But when we stand face to face with you, we will be able to say that we drew our sword and fought for you. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you and you would like prayer, or perhaps this is your first time listening, then we'd love to connect with you at www.thedestinychurch.co.uk forward slash connect. You're welcome to join us every Sunday in person or online at 11am.